0: hey most of last year feels a little odd to say that but most of last year we were working through the book of acts now we've we had a few detours along the way if you were with us But the bulk of the year, we followed the expansion of the church as the gospel went out to the nations through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called the Book of Acts because it is the Acts of the Apostles, but it is also called that because it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It is the Acts of the Church. And we saw this command, make disciples. We saw this command in action. Well, today, we start the final chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. We're going to finish this chapter and the book next Sunday, so be here for that one. Uh, But things are wrapping up. And as a reminder of what has happened before we get into Acts 28, because it's important to set the scene, uh, Paul the Apostle has been told by Jesus that he will be a witness to God, a witness to Jesus in Rome. This is a promise. Paul is going to Rome, but the way there uh, is far from straightforward. In fact, the way there involves Paul being beaten up, it involves him being arrested, it involves him having false charges brought against him, it involves him being in prison for over two years, and then to top it all off, Paul finally gets to head to Rome on a ship which goes through a storm so severe that they didn't see the sun or moon for multiple days. It's quite a storm. And then, to carry it on, there's a shipwreck. And this, this is where we actually pick the story up today in Acts 28. So Acts 28, and we're reading verses 1 to 16, if you want to follow along. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed." After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putioli. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. This is God's word to us. And I have three points I want to highlight from our passage today. Uh, The first one is the main one, and it's that God's promises are the foundation for our lives. It's been sort of the theme going through our service today, that God's promises are the foundation for our lives. And we see a specific example of this with Paul and the snake today. But for all of us, God's promises are the reason we can have peace and perseverance in this world. And who wants peace and perseverance? I think we all do, don't we? Secondly, a second point, that our faith in Jesus gives us something to give to others. Uh, We might be poor. We might have a lot. Actually, those are by the by. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, our faith shapes us into people who care and who always Always have something to offer to others, whoever they are. And lastly, that one of the best things we can give to each other is the encouragement of turning up. might seem like a strange point, and it is my final one, and it will be a small one, but I really don't want to miss it out because I think it's significant. So promise, faith, encouragement. Promise, faith, encouragement. And this green line, I have no idea... It's not very green up there, is it? But this green line is the journey we have heard in our passage today. The ship carrying all 276 people, it wasn't a small ship, uh, has finally found land. Uh, And by find land, I mean it's run aground and been smashed to pieces. Uh, But here they are on the island of Malta. And what's telling about this landing is that no one on the ship actually knew where they were. I think that's sort of amusing, but it's really telling. Verse 1 said, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The storm they have been in on the ship has been so terrible that they don't actually know where in the world they are. Which, you know, most of us have probably been, been lost at some stage. But I'm guessing you haven't had a question about which country you're in. This is really lost. But here they are amazingly they're alive and they're on an island called Malta and they receive quite a good welcome from the natives on the island. The natives are helpful but it's raining which probably shouldn't be a surprise because the storm has been going on and so they light a fire and Paul joins in collecting some fuel for this fire and wouldn't you know it a snake, a viper driven out of the flames bites Paul on the hand. Now I've never had a snake bite, I hope I don't have one, but I think a snake bite at any stage would be terrible, but let's just remember that Paul has just gotten off a ship by swimming for his life. He's probably wet and cold, and now, to top it all off, he has a poisonous snake hanging from his hand. I mean, when we use the phrase, escaping from the frying pan into the fire, pretty much sums up this, doesn't it? And the locals, the natives who are there, see all of this happen, and and they put it together. That for someone to escape death in the ocean only to be bitten by a snake, they must be guilty. They must be a murderer. And justice is catching up with this murderer in their minds. And the odd thing about this is that they're partially right, and partially wrong, of course, but they're partially right, You see, Paul, uh, he was a murderer. Before he met Jesus, he was. He had watched and approved the murder of Stephen, the first Christian martyr who was killed. He had chased and persecuted other Christians. And, And the natives' interpretation of these events is something we do today as well. We interpret our experiences either as judgments or blessings. You know, we, we hear people commonly today use the term karma, that there is a natural justice to the world. What you give is what you get. And there is some, hear me, some truth to this. There is a justice to this world. If we sow, then we will reap. So be careful what you sow. As Jesus would say, In Matthew 26, if we live by the sword, we will, what? Die by the sword. And that is true, but that is not not the only force at play. And this is where the natives got it partially wrong. You see, as Christians, we are people who have faith. Faith in a God who redeems, who saves We have faith that Jesus is our right standing before God. Now, this does not mean that we are immune to the consequences of our actions, the consequences of our sins. If I lie, people won't trust me. But if a snake bites me, I mean, that'll be a big surprise in New Zealand, but if a snake bites me, that doesn't mean I'm a murderer. And it doesn't mean I'm being judged. God is incredibly interested in justice. He's far more interested in justice than you or I ever are or will be. He is eternally interested in justice. He will see justice done, either in this life or the next, which should be pretty terrifying, except that God is also merciful and kind. God tips the balance of justice in our favor by putting Jesus on, it, on the other side. By putting all of our sin on Jesus and putting Jesus' righteousness on us. This is what we call the great transaction. And it isn't fair. But it is just. Justice is done. God takes all the expense himself And he pays it to buy us, to buy you and I. And this means that as Christians, we interpret the events in our lives in a different way. Now hear me, sometimes bad things happen to us, and that is God getting our attention. Sometimes. But we need to be very careful, very careful about leaving Jesus out of the picture should always be careful about that, because that is not how we live. Nothing, nothing is greater than Jesus. Nothing can separate us from God. Now, how does Paul's snakebite show us this? Well, Paul had a promise from God. He had a specific promise to him. God gave him a specific promise. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to you. Paul was going to go to Rome to be God's witness there. Now, would a terrible, terrible storm stop God getting Paul to Rome? No. Would a snake bite stop God getting Paul to Rome? No. No, it will not. You and I don't have that specific promise, but we have many, many other eternal promises of God. God's promise to Paul that he would get to Rome, it's over, done, finished. The promises you and I have, they will last all the way into eternity. They are far bigger and far more important. And we need to know these. We need to base our lives on them. And I want to give three examples, and this is a terrible thing when you're talking about something like God's promises, Where do you start and where do you end? Because there's so, so many of them. But I want to give you three examples. They're all from the same chapter of the Bible. Funny enough, you've already heard part of one this morning in someone's prayer. Romans Romans 8 verses 1 and 2. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you know this promise? It's a goodie, like all of God's. If you are in Jesus, if you have faith in Him, trust in Him, there is no condemnation, none against you. You might be guilty of some things, but there's no condemnation. And that's incredible. Whatever the world says about you, whatever the enemy says about you, whatever your own flesh reminds you of, none of it is greater than the one you are in. None of it is greater than Christ. And we need to know this because we're guilty. We are guilty. And if we think we live according to the law of sin and death, then we're going to feel terrible. Now, we need to remember, we need to be reminded that the way we live is according to the law of the Spirit of God, which drives us to our knees, it drives us to repent, and but it gives us a sweet, sweet hope that, you know what, yesterday it didn't rely upon me, today it didn't rely upon me, and tomorrow it is not going to rely upon me. There is no condemnation, and this is a miracle a miracle of God, and it's true of me, it's true of you. And when eternity comes, when you step into it, it will be true of you then. That's a big promise, isn't it? What about Romans 8, 28? One of the most incredible promises of God, one we've already heard this morning. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to His purpose. If we are called by God, then even in the midst of terrible situations, we have the confidence, the assurance that God is still at work. He has not abandoned us. That even in the midst of terrible situations, and we go through some terrible situations. God is at work in us, shaping us and making us more like his son, more like the people we have been saved to be. This is an incredible promise of hope that even when it is very dark, God is still doing good. He is still at work, still doing good, and even as we suffer and lose and grieve those things, we are still gaining. This is like a crazy promise, but it's crazy good. It really is. It's a hard one to hold on to. It's an important one to hold on to. Or well, lastly, Romans 8, 38 to 39. Paul saying, For I am convinced that neither death nor life... Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I think he would include storms and snakes there, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is not saying that your life will be easy. He is not saying that. But he is saying that your life will be secure. That the love of God to you and Jesus is so strong, so deep, so powerful that no force in our lives, in this world, can steal us from his hands. That's a promise, isn't it? That is a promise for storms. And it is a promise we need to have peace and perseverance in this world. But do you know... God's promises to you. Because this is how God works. It's how He's always worked, actually. This is what He gives us. It's not only what He gives us, but this is what He gives us. He gives us His word, He gives us His promises. And then He expects us to trust Him, to have faith. To do this, I want to encourage you to do at least one thing this year. That when you read your Bible, have a pen. Maybe call it your promise pen. I don't know, but whatever color that pen is, you use it and you underline, you circle, you do whatever, you asterisk every promise of God you come across. Mark them. Let them sink into you. Let them get into you so that you can stand that even if you are bitten by a snake, metaphorical snake, you're going to shake it off because you have a promise. Even if you go into a storm, and you will, won't you, you're going to come out the other side because you know who holds you. Amen? Psalm 119 verse 50 says, my comfort." In my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. Jesus is God's greatest promise to us. May we know his promise to us, that we may know his comfort as well. We follow Paul because he follows Christ. Secondly, I want to talk about the gift of our faith, and this is to do with Paul's healings on the island. Now, I think we have to wonder, or at least I do, wonder if Paul surviving the snake bite got him more of a reception with people. I wonder that. When they were thinking, gosh, this guy's a god, with a little g, I wonder if he got more of a reception because of that. Thing is, we don't know. We aren't told. What we are told is that while hosted by the chief official on the island, Paul goes in to see his sick dad. Now let's not forget who Paul is. He's a prisoner. Even though they've just got off a shipwreck, he's still a prisoner. And you've got to wonder what the chief official thought about this prisoner, Roman prisoner, going in to see his dad. Paul was like everyone else who had escaped that sinking ship. He didn't have a lot. He probably had some wet clothes. That's about it. But he had one other thing, didn't he? He had faith in Jesus. He knew the promises of God. He had the Holy Spirit with him, which means he had quite a lot. In fact, it probably meant he had more than just about anyone else there except his brothers Luke and Aristarchus who were with him. And I believe this is what we see happening here. Wherever Paul is, he is bringing the kingdom of God. He is sharing the good news and introducing people to Jesus. He is living out his faith. It doesn't matter if he is visiting a city, talking with people, or if he is in change, he, chains, he's doing the same thing, isn't he? He is. And this should be a challenge to us. God has us somewhere. God has you somewhere. He has us meeting people he has us coming across people who have needs and i'm guessing we can make many excuses that there are other people better better equipped than me and maybe that's true but god has us there he has you there we have faith in the same god as paul we have the same promises We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same mission. You're not going to Rome, that was Paul's, but we have the same mission. We're doing this as well. So the question is, what are we doing with our faith? How are we sharing it? How are we giving it to others? In the past week, how have people heard the good news from you? In the past week, how have people heard you pray for them? Has anyone heard you pray for them? And I'm challenged by this myself because I wonder if at times I have so much in my hands, so much in my life, other things I think I should give to people that giving them my faith, giving them Jesus, somehow slips down. You know, in Luke 10... Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 72 disciples and he sent them out with no supplies, but he sent them out with this command. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now that was a different time and place. But have we learnt the lesson that these disciples did? Do we know that we, can, we have the most important thing with us to give to people? Can we go into life knowing that God is with us and it is his peace, his kingdom, we are messengers of? We're not saving anyone. He's doing the saving. And I want to challenge you this coming week. Uh, you are going to be in situations you don't know the outcome of. That's life. But right there and then, to trust that God has you there. That is going to be your island of Malta. It wasn't your plan, but you're there. So God has got you there. Remember who you represent. Remember what you have to offer. You might have nothing in your hands, but you've got your faith, which means you have the Holy Spirit, which means you have the good news, which means you have the same mission as Paul, which means you've you've got a lot. And then give it. You know, when those 72 disciples came back to Jesus, they were rejoicing. And do you know what Jesus said to them? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I don't think we're meant to take that literally. I think that's Jesus saying, I rejoice I rejoice in your good news. I rejoice in your faithfulness and going out there and taking my kingdom out there. Wouldn't we love to hear that about us? Wouldn't that be something? And my last point, uh, we should never underestimate the encouragement we have to offer each other in just turning up. And I'll be really quick here, but notice this. Notice this. Think about what's happened in Paul's life. Paul has survived a shipwreck. Do you know how much we know about how he felt about that shipwreck? Zero. No comment. Paul has survived a poisonous snake bite. Do you know how much we know about his experience of that, how he felt about it? Zero. We know nothing about how he felt about it. Paul has healed uh, quite a few people on the island of Malta, and you guessed it. Do you know how much we know about, about Paul's reflections on that? Zero. Nothing. I mean, I presume he was pretty excited about all these things, but we're not told. Uh, What we are told is that when some brothers and sisters turn up to greet Paul, to welcome him, he is encouraged and he praises God for that. Doesn't that seem back to front? Like Paul seemingly has miracle after miracle happening in his life, surviving this terrible, terrible storm, getting bitten by a snake, nothing coming of that, surviving that, going around healing people. But the thing we are told is that when some brothers and sisters who he didn't even know, they turn up to welcome him, he's so encouraged and he praises God about that. Isn't that sort of crazy? And you know what? I think we can read the book of Acts and we can think it's all about miracles and surviving snake bites and healing people and it it includes those things. It does, absolutely does. But let us not overlook what was significant to Paul. Some brothers and sisters who he didn't even know turned up to greet him, and he praised God about that. People turning up matters. May we be a people who act trusting God for the miraculous. He's got to do the miraculous. But may we also be a people who turn up, who don't underestimate the encouragement we have to offer each other. Sometimes that encouragement will be far, far more significant than you ever know. Far more significant. It will be remembered and recorded in people's lives as greater than many other things. So do we know the promises of God to us that we might survive the storms and the snake bites of this life? Are we ready to give our faith to others that we are clear about the most important thing, the most important thing you have to offer others? And will we be a people who turn up? Yeah, text messages are good. Fun calls better. But will we be people who just turn up? Turn up and encourage each other that way. Let's pray together. Jesus, I give thanks that you have given us uh, the book of Acts, that you have given us uh, our brother Paul, whose life is, is extraordinary and it is a challenge to us, Lord, that you can do so much more than we can imagine. But I pray that Paul calls us forward. He calls us forward, reminding us that we have the same Lord and Saviour, We have the same eternal promises as him. We have the same Holy Spirit in us as was in him. Yeah, he was a special guy, but we have the same spirit. Help us to be a people who will go out into this world and indeed make you known that where you take us and the people whose paths we cross, that we will share our faith with them. We will do it trusting in your promises that you are with us always. You will be with us till the end of the earth, the end of the world. And may we be a people who turn up, who don't overlook the little things, who don't overlook being present for each other and being around, that that is us being faithful, faithful to this family you have placed us in here. Faithful to each other and caring for us. I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to do this this coming week. But indeed, for all of our lives until we see you face to face. O oh Lord, that you would indeed rejoice over us as you rejoiced over those 72 that you send out. That indeed, through us, your kingdom would come. I pray this in your name. Amen.